0: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Curiosity Killed the Rat. My name is Matt and I've missed it here. I've missed it here. I was absent last... You missed one episode. I know, but that's the first one I've missed and I wanted to keep it only on that one. I don't... Yeah.
1: I... We missed you, (sighs) but...
0: I you missed know. the conversation as well. I had to listen back to that episode and you guys had a lot of fun. But that was last episode. We're in this episode now. And I am recording from lands traditionally owned by the Noongar people. I just want to acknowledge that before passing on over to you, Kate. How are you going yeah. today?
1: I'm, look, I'm pretty tired if I'm going to be honest. I was, <laughs> was going to be like, look, I'm great. But you know what? No, we're all about honesty here on this show. And um, I'm flipping exhausted, but that's okay because... I am propelled to keep going by my enthusiasm for tonight's, well, (laughs) tonight's episode. We're recording at nighttime. You might not be listening at nighttime, Um, but I'm really excited for this show because I am joined uh, by a guest. I'll get to that in a second. I just first want to acknowledge that me and our lovely guest, Jasmine, are recording from lands traditionally owned by the Wurundjeri people um, and pay our respects. So yes, I'm Kate normally the scientist on this show, but we have another awesome guest here this episode. Jasmine,
2: how are you? How's it going? I'm very well, thank you. It's an honor to be here. How oh, are you?
1: So excited to have you. But before we dive in, do you want to just, you know, you and I go way back. We've been friends for an awfully long time. When you think about it, it's crazy. Yeah, back to high school days. In yeah, Canary. like more than a decade, I'm now mm. just oh realizing. My gosh. Isn't that wild? That's, that's wild. That's crazy. Um, but that's not why you're here. That's, that's a... The, it's a perk that I get to do this with a friend, but um, <laughs> you're here because you do some cool stuff. Do you want to give
2: us a little introduction? Give the listeners a little introduction. Who are you? What do you do? Yeah. So my name is Jasmine Ship. I'm a PhD candidate. I'm doing a joint PhD degree between... The University of Copenhagen in Denmark and um, Deakin University here in Melbourne, um, where I'm based at a research centre called the Australian Centre for Behavioural Research and Diabetes. And my PhD thesis is focused on people of type 1 diabetes who are creating their own artificial pancreas systems.
1: Yeah, it's so cool. I did a bit of, done a little bit of reading into the stuff that you are looking into and I think it's, I think it's absolutely wild and I'm so excited uh, to hear all about it, which like, We can jump into it, but first, first I think we have some very important um, things to discuss reading (laughs) Matt's role on this show. I (laughs) You're very intrigued. What, I go
0: for one week and you're reconsidering what I do Well, no, it's just because this was an takes? interesting
1: discussion that Are you uh, trying to ship me Jasmine out? and I had <laughs> that I thought was hilarious and all our <laughs> listeners need to be looped in on this. Um, and it's because, you know, you always introduce yourself, Matt, as the science enthusiast, right? Like that's mm. like that's your, your role on this show is to... T-
0: I can't remember whether or not I introduced to myself. Is that I do you know either. I'm, 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 I'm literally ago. trying to think. Is that how much of muscle memory it's become <laughs> that I say you it and say don't it remember yeah. or have I forgotten to say that? But that that is how I like yeah, to do it. Yeah, the hype man. But I you're not just it. the hype man.
1: Uh what 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 is he, Jasmine? He's a, a literary trope,
2: actually. You you are a walking <laughs> a talking trope.
1: trope. You are, in fact, the Watson yes. uh, so, of in, the show.
2: Uh, in literary worlds, <laughs> so like think about a book like Harry Potter. Harry Potter is a mm-hmm. non- He's not from that world. So when he enters it and Ron tells him all about, you know, how to use the powder that sends Mm. you through the chimneys or Hermione's telling him all about the history of wizarding, he's someone from outside of that world so that the reader gains a perspective into the rules Mm. of that world and how it works. So I feel like you're kind of like the Watson to the audience listening because you're here to interrupt the nerds. Yeah,
1: (laughs) to stop us going on our (laughs) wild rabbit hole rants. and Using all the jargon. yeah.
0: As Eminem might say, snap back to reality.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There goes gravity.
2: We're saying if if you're the Watson, does that make Kate the Sherlock Holmes of the show? I quite
1: like this idea.
0: I quite like that as well.
2: Um,
1: I'll take it.
0: Maybe, you know, whenever you're able to successfully explain some kind of concept, you could simply say it's elementary. (laughs) 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 Although, so does that make me the Harry Potter in the situation as well? No,
1: because you're not the Harry Potter.
0: No, but I'm the one from Mm. outside of the world who's going in and providing the reader with a lens to view this other world. You're a total Harry Damn, you
1: are. You're the chosen one. I am the chosen
0: one. I'm sorry. I know you were trying to steal the protagonist role, but nah, fam. Nah, fam.
1: <laughs> no, that's okay. Uh, I am I am very hermione you are but also, hermione. also I'm a Luna. We can't mm. deny that. <laughs> Sometimes I'm a bit of an airhead, and that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. We love it
0: here. We support. Well, there you go. I like that. No, I quite like that. I mean, I don't want to be, you know, just, you know, put in a box. I'm more than a trope. I'm a man. I'm a person. <laughs>
1: <laughs> You're a man and a person. Wow. Yes, <laughs> um, I'm impressed. But no, okay, we're not we're not here to talk about literary tropes. or well, we are a little bit because it's fun. No, um, <laughs> we're here to talk about Jasmine research. We're science. here to talk about you. Well, I was going to say you recently published a study, which is true. You did, and I'm gonna I'm gonna link that paper in the description if you want to read it, and we'll definitely touch on the details of it. A little bit later, but I think we probably shouldn't start with, you published a study, we should start with a little bit more general, I think mm. introductory stuff. So the research you do is, you know, as you said, the, um, to do with diabetes. Yeah. So before we get into sort of what you do, we should probably start there for some of the listeners that may not be super familiar with the concept of diabetes. Like you've heard of it, you know, what it, you know, vaguely mm. is.
0: I'm aware there's at least two types of yeah. it.
2: Yeah,
1: correct. Yeah, yeah, Watson, what do you... Uh... Yeah. I think it's a good place to start. What <laughs> do you know about diabetes,
0: Matt? I'm aware there's two types, type 1 and type 2, very aptly named. Type 1 is the one you are born with. Um, type 2 is the one that you can get later in life. I don't think it's necessarily linked to anything hereditary like type 1 is. It's just kind of you, you put too much sugar in your body, you run the risk of getting type 2 diabetes, Um, and it's to do with your body not being able to produce enough insulin or overproduces insulin so probably just like the way the body monitors its insulin and controls its insulin production meaning you can either be hypoglycemic where you don't have enough insulin or hyperglycemic where you have too much where you either need to give someone insulin or I don't know what you would do if you're hyperglycemic. I don't know if you can just like take sugar out of someone or like you make a run a lap. I I don't know. I don't really <laughs> yeah. know any diabetics. I
2: think it's like so you got.
0: But that's my understanding. A lot
2: of great ideas. There a lot of great understanding, but also some myths I want to dispel, which is why I asked mm. you to talk about it. So yes. <laughs> Um, type 1 does have uh, genetic factors, and you say people are born with it, but you can actually develop type 1 at any age. So adults can, you? can get type 1. I didn't know that. Yeah, so people often associate oh. it with children, and you, you do get yeah. kids that get type 1, but you can get type 1 as an adult. Oh. And there's no known um, lifestyle association, and we don't really know what make, causes type 1, but we do think there might be some autoimmune. Yeah, um,
1: interesting. So, in in those cases where it develops later in life, would it be something that that you know a condition that develops later in life, or is it something that's kind of underlying your whole life, but it doesn't start to present till later? If that makes sense.
2: Hard to say. That's what people are looking mm. into. But for type two, you talked about lifestyle, and there is a lifestyle link for type two. So yes, there is. Um, you are more likely to develop type two if you are overweight but there's also is a hereditary genetic link in type two as well. So it's not all about diet. So Um, what distinguishes them then?
1: Cause I, I I was on the same page as Matt. I always thought it was to do with, yeah, type one is what you were born with and type two is
2: what could appear later. Yeah. Well, in type one, the difference is there's an analogy about like a key in a lock with insulin. And in type one, you don't have, any insulin. So the key, it's like insulin is like the key that un- unlocks the glucose to be able to use yeah. this energy in the body. And in type one, you don't have that key. So you don't have any yeah. insulin in your body. And in type two, maybe that key is just not working as well. So. Okay, so you've got it, but it's faulty.
1: Yeah, it's, it's melted a little bit. You yeah. Know, <laughs> you know,
2: someone ran over it with
1: a car and yeah. got a bit <laughs> bent out of shape and now it won't quite fit in the lock.
2: Yeah. So that's (laughs) why people of type 2 diabetes sometimes still have insulin production. So they may be able to manage their condition with things like um, diet and lifestyle Mm -hmm. or um, like tablets like my grandfather did. Mm -hmm. Um, But also people of type 2 diabetes often go into insulin as well. It's a progressive condition Mm -hmm. and as it develops, you might go on to insulin. And because there's... Many more people of type two diabetes in Australia than type one. Mm-hmm. There's actually more people in Australia with type two diabetes who are injecting insulin than type one, which is really yeah. shocking to me because a lot, a lot of people also be like, "Oh, well, type ones were the one where you need to inject insulin." Need, yeah, but people of type two diabetes mm. often need to inject insulin as well.
1: Well, yeah, that raises an interesting point. I mean, I feel like I'm jumping ahead a little bit in terms of having read the paper that mm. um, you wrote, which was looking at you know systems in type 1 diabetes does that mean that sort of thing could exist for type 2 diabetes as well because you're injecting insulin i don't know i feel like that's i feel like that's a point we'll come back to when we actually start to explain yeah, this Yeah, we should um, jump back to the pancreas
2: and hypoglycemia, yeah, and hypoglycemia the artificial insulin like that was talking about so mm. uh the pancreas is an organ in your body that sits like tucked behind the stomach and it releases hormones that regulate mm-hmm. um glucose levels in your blood so it releases insulin which brings the glucose levels down and it releases um glucogen which brings them up Mm -hmm. um so for people with type 1 diabetes they need to inject insulin because their body's not producing insulin anymore and that brings their glucose levels down that's why they can go hypoglycemic if they've if they've given themselves too much insulin Mm.
0: so type 1 diabetics it's not too little insulin they just straight up have none they can't produce any at all yeah stop. also
2: um while we're talking about mm. uh type di- diabetes and myths I was always like to talk about language so yeah uh, I was we, gonna flag that uh I sent a language statement out to Kate but I didn't yes. send one to Matt no, which is very I unfair didn't, didn't so we try not to use the term on. On. um diabetic which I use person first language so I say like people uh, with okay. diabetes yeah so
0: people with diabetes as opposed yeah, to diabetic because I
2: think about like People are more than just the condition that mm. they may have. And we don't describe someone who has yeah, cancer as no. uh, canceric or cancerous. Yeah, yeah. it's similar to, um,
1: I think I mentioned something similar. And if you've listened to ages ago, our episode on addiction, because that's what I study. And it's a similar sort of thing where we, we try to say things like substance use disorder mm. instead of addiction, but also like person with substance use disorder, not addict. Like, yeah. you know, and, um, it's yeah. all about stigmatizing language and, you know, trying to. It's not someone's fault that they have diabetes and it's not necessarily also mm. a bad, you know, you don't want to make it sound like a bad thing yeah. because you want to try, su- like, these are, these are the vulnerable people that need our support. And so I think,
2: yeah, the language mm. we use mm. around talking about it. Um, yeah, it's great you bring it up in another area. The language, the language we use, words, the words we use have power mm. and it's important to use words that um, respect the people that we work with. Yeah, And like you say, nobody... Wants to develop diabetes, and wants to develop any type of diabetes. Mm. Mm.
0: No, that's very good to call out because I wasn't even aware that that was an issue, mm. Issue, mm. issue. That that particular language around that issue, I didn't realize. I mean, it makes sense after hearing mm. the explanation, but yeah, I just yeah, had no completely. idea whatsoever, and now I do. So also like a
2: common thing, people people make like little jokes about diabetes. It's often. Uh, the, they're often like the punchline of like mm. so make, so making a joke about like eating too much sugar or sugar, things like that. But it's not like you eat too much sugar and you get diabetes. Things are a lot more complicated than that. And that's not how it happens. Mm. So those jokes are um, stereotypes and they're incorrect stereotypes mm. as they often are. And mm. they aren't helpful. They're actually quite harmful to the community. Yeah. So it's thinking about things like this that are important too. And that's where... Um, you know, a lot of the research that is done at the ACBRD by my colleagues around um, stigma and language is so, so important. Mm.
0: Am I right then in saying that a, um, person with type one diabetes has no insulin, does not produce insulin at all. It's not a low level of insulin thing. They just never had it, never going to get it other than giving it to themselves manually externally yeah they don't have it now yeah. but if Shots. they'd
2: never had it they would have died so when people say you're born with type 1 diabetes oh. you actually couldn't live with right. without insulin for more than a year or two and a hundred so a hundred years yeah, ago is okay. when it's actually a century celebration of when insulin was discovered this year a hundred years oh, ago if you, you had go. type 1 diabetes mm-hmm. you wouldn't live for more than a year or two yeah, because there was wow. no way to prevent um just the glucose levels going too high and going mm. into uh, diabetic ketoacidosis and that's often some, – some people are diagnosed that way because they are really, really sick. Mm. Um, so there's four main symptoms you get when, you're, when you've when developed type 1 diabetes and that's like you're really tired – 40, sorry mm-hmm. – when you're tired, um, you're thirsty, you're drinking a lot more water than u- usual, mm-hmm. you're going to the toilet more than usual, and you're thinner, you've suddenly dropped a lot of weight when you weren't intending to.
1: Yeah. So because I was going to say uh, – ask, sorry, do the issues – from you know, not not producing insulin, do they arise from having too much glucose in the blood as opposed to your body just not being able to use that glucose? Because yeah. I feel like that's where that's where the weight loss would come from, right? Is your yeah. body not being able to actually harness the carbohydrates you eat because yeah. that's what glucose is, right? Is we mm. we eat carbs, we break them down into their simplest form, which is glucose, which then gets you know uptaken by the body thanks to the key of insulin. And then we use that to energy things. To energy things, yes, I'm a science communicator. (laughs) (sighs) But, yeah, you know, so is more of the issue around the buildup of glucose as opposed to the lack of ability to use that glucose.
2: Or both, like you say, about the weight loss, but also um, when you're drinking a lot of water and going to the bathroom a lot, it's Mm because your body's trying to flush out all that glucose. Yeah, okay, that makes sense.
0: So presumably people with diabetes have very, very low levels of energy that could be an yeah, indication really, really tired. Of... you're really tired because if you're not absorbing mm. any of the glucose because you don't have the insulin there then you're just you're not getting any energy not just for your muscles yeah. but for your brain you'd have you know, to being able to stay I mean awake you'd still be and... able to
1: break down fat a bit, I presume. Um, because generally, you know, when we don't eat carbohydrates for an extended period of time, that's Mm. when our body turns to our fat stores and starts to like break that down as like a secondary source of energy, but that's a lot slower. Mm. It's a lot, you know, less, you know, it's harder work for the same amount of energy. So that's presumably Mm. why people don't just die because it's not like they're getting absolutely no energy. It's just glucose. Right is the most convenient, correct me if I'm wrong here, Jasmine, but this is
2: getting very off. Yeah, I know I'm getting off your (laughs) side of things and I'm dragged (laughs) into
1: the like biology physiology side Mm. of things because that's what I do, but I will, I will release the reins and stop overthinking the, um, the physiological side of it because yeah, I do want to chat about this artificial pancreas, Mm. um, because this is such a cool, this is just such a wickedly cool concept to me. So you've described what the pancreas, what the the non-artificial pancreas' yeah. job is. Um, what's an artificial pancreas?
2: An artificial pancreas, I think to talk about that, we need to talk about what, what people type 1 diabetes are currently managing. Mm, that's with. a good point. Yeah. So yeah, 100 years ago, insulin was discovered mm-hmm. and this isn't a cure, it doesn't fix diabetes, mm-hmm. but if you're injecting it every day, then people with type 1 diabetes can lead um, happy, healthy lives. Mm-hmm. But each time they're um, injecting that insulin, they have to think about a lot of different factors that go mm-hmm. into how much they need. Um, what are their current glucose levels? What are their predicted glucose levels? Mm-hmm. Like how much exercise I've done that day? Things like stress or hormones or drinking alcohol, these can all affect your glucose levels. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of thinking and decisions that go into this, and it can be really overwhelming and stressful yeah people, I can imagine one. actually in fact I can't I, I can't
1: even imagine how <laughs> draining it would be mm. to have to manage mm. all of that all the time and not just have your body be on autopilot doing it for you yeah. like I am incredibly grateful to- yeah well, our
2: bodies are like these incredible uh little computers that run <sighs> human all human bodies these things are in the amazing
1: man I just <laughs> I I oh like, if, if y'all hadn't realized, hey, you should
0: take up biology or something.
1: <laughs> uh, maybe I, I should. Know.
2: Maybe yeah. I should study human biology of <laughs> some description. That's a really good idea, Matt. Thank you. Uh. Hey, I have them sometimes. <laughs> but they're they're like always working towards homeostasis, so mm-hmm. keeping things stable, keeping things mm. safe. So things like body temperature, keeping yeah. that within a safe range. So not only the glucose levels in your body, but so many things that's running in mm. the background. But if you can imagine, that one of one day, one of those organs just stopped working, and you had to do its job mm. forever. That would be rough, and that's what people with type mm. one diabetes are, are doing. Mm. Essentially, that the pancreas has quit its job, and now they've got this new full time job as a as a pancreas, but mm. it's a full time job with mm. no nights off, no weekends, no, no pay. Mu- yeah, apart from you know getting to function.
0: Hey, stay alive. <laughs> you know, yeah, but other that's, people that's get, to do you get to do anyway. that <laughs> Like
2: you know, it's a little bit unfair. Yeah, but it's rough. Um, And there is some technology that helps with this so far. So there's um, uh, insulin pumps, which are little um, kind of like a bit smaller than a mobile phone. You can clip it to your hands. Mm, It's got tubing. Kind of like a
1: Nokia phone-sized thing. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Um, And that's
0: a perfect analogy. I can picture it right now. (laughs) Clips (laughs) to your belt buckle. Can you play Snake 2 on it?
2: No unfortunately not. Technology can only go so far <laughs> Maybe one day <laughs> um, But yeah so that that contains insulin and it has a little um, plastic tube that runs under that you can insert under the skin and gives you insulin. Mm-hmm. And you can also get a continuous glucose monitor so you can get a device um, also implanted under the skin and that's measuring your glucose levels um, constantly. And mm. sending the information every five minutes to your phone. So letting you know if you've gone mm. too high or too low. Because you're kind of... Because the traditional sort of way to do that was with like a pinprick, right? Fingerpricks, yeah. 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 yeah, which would are only a point in time that you mm. can give the information. So you can see that going from getting information from a finger prick. When yeah, I mean, you don't want
1: to be pricking yourself every five minutes. Yeah, That's a mm. lot.
2: Yeah. And it doesn't give you an indication of if that's going up or down or what's yeah. happening next. Yeah. Yeah. So having the CGM, sorry, the continuous glucose monitor, yeah. abbreviated as CGM, can be really helpful and give people a lot of insight into mm. their own data and their glucose levels.
0: How um, recent for development is that technology? Because that's the first I've heard of it I've only ever really known. It makes perfect sense, but I only really know of the older... Think of it bit of bit of blood I don't know. check your I don't glucose monitor CGM levels. was invented. Is
2: it up? Uh this is the first the first device reading glucose levels continuously was a professional CGM approved in 1999, but that would have been I think a professional CGM's one that only doctors are allowed to use. Do you know when it was used for for everyday personal? Use. Okay, so around 2004
0: so pretty Mm. recently yeah right man that's pretty cool yeah what's the difference in i imagine cost would have come down as technology improves and becomes cheaper to make but um for a person with diabetes is having one of those things like a a really expensive thing to have or is that like kind of a reasonable price on par with doing the pinprick method
2: Um. It can be quite expensive, and especially in Australia here. So there are subsidies uh, for people under, who meet certain conditions for both insulin pumps and CGMs mm-hmm. if you're under a certain age or you have certain health conditions. But otherwise you have to have private health insurance, and I think it can be like a few thousand dollars a year to get these things running. So um, while people, whether it's technology, is available, mm-hmm. um, it's not affordable or accessible to everyone. Mm. So a lot of people yeah. are... Um, campaigning for um, CGM to be uh, subsidised for everyone with type yeah. one diabetes.
1: That's really rough to, you know, luck into being born with diabetes and then be expected
2: to fund that. Yeah, fund the management of that. Well, well it's um, the
0: mandatory pancreas tax. Do we not all pay? <laughs>
2: And it's especially wow. unfair in countries like America, where insulin insulin prices are so high. Mm. I mean, yeah. when they invented well, they invented insulin because insulin's part of your body. But when they um, discovered discovered how to synthesize yeah. insulin, mm. the people who discovered it they I think they sold the patent for one dollar because they they yeah. thought this was something everyone should have access Good. to. But yeah. um, now it can cost you know thousands of dollars for insulin in, in the United States, and there's otherwise less good healthy young people who are who are dying because they're, rash, mm. they're rationing the insulin, so they're not um, injecting as much as they should. Yeah, like like when people ration food, they're, they're yeah. eating less. That's you know, so sad. Yeah, it's incredibly sad. So uh, luckily, there's lots of people campaigning for insulin yeah. for all in the states, and mm. hopefully things improve over there. And I'd yeah. love to see also here in Australia um, access improve to technology mm. for everyone. But yeah. So,
0: so what is the, um, the situation like here in Australia? Cause I've definitely heard a lot on the media about what goes on in America with like the fucking absorbent prices of insulin where, like you say, yeah, people are literally dying because they have to ration their insulin because they need to make rent or food or, you know, they don't have health insurance and yada, 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 yada. But here it's a little bit different. Do we, do we charge a shit ton for insulin as well? Like they do.
2: No, luckily, luckily not. Mm. Um, and also, we're lucky to have the um, NDSS here, which is the National Diabetes Services Scheme, and it also funds a lot of other um, supplies for diabetes too. That's good. That's I'm I'm glad yeah. that it's not as bad
1: here, but it's still still a huge out of pocket expense. Yeah, which, you know. Once again, am I? Are you ready to talk about the artificial pancreas yet? Because I'm like okay, okay. chewing nearly in a the bit uh, nearly there. because <laughs> that cost is another way to
2: bring into that, and yeah. I just I really want to talk about an artificial pancreas. Okay, so <laughs> type yeah. one diabetes. Call cool
0: the segue at <laughs> any chance you get. <laughs>
2: yeah. So then the quick crash course: type one diabetes, pancreas isn't working properly. You're not making insulin. Mm-hmm. You need to inject it yourself. You can do that using a pump, and you can measure your glucose using a CGM. But these two bits, these two parts, they don't talk to each other. So you still have to measure your glucose levels and then figure out how much insulin you need and then tell the pump how much insulin to give you. And really they should. They should they should communicate. That would mm, make a lot of sense. It would. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Um, so as people in the diabetes community who figured out how to get these parts talking to each other, communicating with each other, and create um, what they called a a do-it-yourself artificial pancreas system or Um, or or an open source artificial pancreas system because Mm -hmm. once they figured out how to get these bits talking to each other, um, they then put the instructions online for free so anyone could do it themselves. This makes me so happy. I love this story. Oh,
0: that's really fucking cool. Yeah. Because then just those two different devices, like because what does a pancreas do other than monitor your glucose levels and determine how much insulin your body needs in order to process that? So you've got one thing that monitors your levels. You've got one thing that puts in insulin. Mm -hmm. So if you have them working together, that's just, that's a pancreas. Yeah,
2: everyone's happy. And it's still, it's not, it's not perfect. does it do everything for you. You still have to tell it when you've um, had a meal, how many carbs you've eaten. Mm -hmm. But,
0: Mm.
2: and it's not what people call like a fully closed loop because you still have to give it that information. But it Mm. is a lot better than what people were doing previously. People say they don't have to think about their diabetes as much. They're sleeping better because previously, if they're going low or high overnight, they were waking up and having to, you know, have a snack or a drink of water or inject insulin, and they have their CGM was going alarming and waking mm. them up. Like we interviewed people, and one participant said they were waking four to five times a night previously. So imagine, like,
1: so bad for your health, yeah, um, to and not your- have a continuous night's sleep, like to be waking up that much sort of mm. every night.
2: And how tired you'd be and how, like, the yeah. lack of focus you'd have. But, yeah, so people's so tough. glucose yeah. levels are more stable. They're in within a safe range because there's also um, if you're going too low or too high, there's drastic short-term mm-hmm. consequences, but also long-term these can add up to um, quite serious diabetes complications So things like it can affect your vision, mm-hmm. um, can affect your extremities, like your hands and feet. So you, people with type 1 diabetes are working hard to – make sure that their levels are within a safer range as possible so that they can guarantee them have a happy, long, mm-hmm. happy, healthy life. So people we talked to um, also said they were like worrying less about their diabetes. They're, happy, yeah. had a, they're more positive, more hopeful about their future. Which
1: we'd love to hear that. That's ultimately, you mm. know. That's the goal.
2: Yeah.
0: That's the goal, right?
1: Well, it's definitely a big goal because, you know, yeah, on t- on top of just the the actual physical strain that having diabetes would put on your life, the psychological strain I can imagine would be a lot.
2: Yeah, that's I was really. Happy to fall into this area of health psychology because I went mm. when I went to we went to uni together and yeah. I was always interested in health and I was always interested in psychology so mm. but I didn't know really how those two fit together mm. so I was interested in, in neuropsych for a bit which is like um, brain disease and brain trauma mm-hmm. and I'd worked and I'd done like a bunch of projects in like uh, um, epilepsy or kids of autism and kids of mm-hmm. ADHD I worked on some projects with um, children with brain trauma for a bit at the MCRI and then I ended up applying at the ACBRD, where I am now, the Australian mm. Centre for Behavioural Research and Diabetes. And they were like, oh, so you've been working in health psychology for a while, and that's the first time I heard about and were it. were like, have I? Cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like this. <laughs> but, yeah, the psychology and the quality of life and uh, all those things are so important when you're living mm. with uh, a chronic health condition like diabetes or if you imagine any um, physical health condition, that can have mm. a really big impact on your mental health and your quality mm. of life and... Um, that's something we, one of the main aims of the ACBID is to focus on improving quality Mm. of life for every Australian living with diabetes.
1: Yeah. And it's obviously, I mean, there's obviously such a need for this kind of, you know, automated system where you get your devices to talk to each other if like because it's it's being driven by people with diabetes right mm. people from the community or I think I read like parents of children with diabetes yeah, that's right. um who are just have hit the point where they just can't manage or not so much that they can't manage it but you know they're looking for solutions that aren't necessarily because what's the if my understanding is correct a big issue with this you know, wonderful system that sounds like it solves all our problems uh, is that it's not currently FDA approved or TGA approved. Yeah, that's right. Which means that people can't just go to a
2: store and buy one of these things. No, They've no. So you to, can, yeah, you, you can legally build a medical device for yourself. There's yeah. nothing wrong with doing yeah, that. Yeah, it's not illegal. But you can't sell one or give yeah. one to someone else because um, then you come into issues around liability and yeah. legality there. So, yeah, you can go online learn how to code mm-hmm. create this app for yourself on mm-hmm. your phone that helps communicate with your insulin pump and in CGM mm-hmm. and that helps run your 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 background insulin for you this mm-hmm. artificial pancreas system but you can't then make one and give one to someone else yeah that's an issue
0: do we know why it hasn't been approved yet is it does it need to go through a certain number of trials or something or is it something else that's stopping it
2: yeah, it's about um, safety and clinical trials so right. people have not around these. But they don't necessarily want to want to, you, you were saying before, people, you know, they're kind of tired of waiting for mm. the commercial companies to produce solutions that they wanted to and uh, we're uniting behind this hashtag, the hashtag, we are not waiting, to create these solutions mm. for ourselves. Mm. Um, there is, There are now um, commercial hybrid closed-loop systems coming. So mm-hmm. we've got... Um, uh, Medtronic in Australia has commercial hybrid closed loop now, mm-hmm. which is great. And um, there's more on the way. Lots okay. of uh, diabetes technology companies are working towards this. Mm. But there's also a company um, in the States, Tidepool, which is mm-hmm. working um, to create a commercially available version of the, the, the open source yeah, DIY okay. version, Loop. Yeah, wow. So there's there's three main versions. It started off OpenAPS, which was um, invented by – one of the main inventors was uh, Donna Lewis. I mm-hmm. know people who – um, adapted that for the iPhone on mm-hmm. something called Loop and the Android system, so Android APS. Mm-hmm. And the the, loop, the iPhone version Loop is going to be adapted and FDA approved and there's a company called Type working towards that, which is great. It's great to see um, commercial co- companies collaborating with the community, mm. recognizing their efforts yeah. and um, working towards what what people in the community want. And yeah,
1: need. yeah, rather than necessarily kind of creating a whole new one they're like well yeah let's work with the people that have already done a lot of the legwork in figuring out this Mm. this coding part because you know that doing it for yourself you know i think i read in your study that that for for the people that can do that that's that's potentially empowering to be able to do that for yourself but that's also not necessarily going to be accessible to everyone yeah um
2: yeah so people we we talk to we ask them but some of them are saying like, it's not for everyone, you know, mm-hmm. you, but other people were like, well, I think actually anyone with type 1 diabetes would benefit from this, but yeah, finding the mm-hmm. the time to sit down and mm-hmm. learn how to do this all, or, um, yeah, the money to afford the insulin pumps and the CGMs and some of the other mm-hmm. parts that you might need to order online from Amazon, or, um, yeah, being like tech savvy enough
0: mm-hmm. to know how to
2: code in things. Of a lot of those things, you can get support, so... Mm-hmm. Um, the paper that I wrote uh, mm-hmm. was about, a lot about navigating the challenges of this because when something's not regulated and you're doing it yourself, there are some challenges that come with that. So yeah, you know, sourcing the hardware, technical issues, mm-hmm. things like that. And the peer support cu- community was hugely powerful in this. Mm-hmm. Um, they were, you know, people are giving away free insulin pumps to other people just helping them get set up, yeah. Wow! teaching them how to do the coding. There's build parties where people sit together and help each other get all set That's up. That's so cute. I love that. <laughs> I love the idea of a little like pancreas build party. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I think that's like the, the real power of community is really wonderful to see here. And it's a very, it's extremely overwhelmingly wonderful. I think it's one of the phrases someone used in my paper, mm, but it's a really generous community that works mm-hmm. on a pay it forward concept. So yeah. other people said they went in, they were helped by someone and like, well, how could I ever mm. repay you? What can mm. I do to help you? And they like, well, just help, help pay the it next board, person. Help the next
1: person. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I love that. That's, and it it really speaks to like i don't know the power the power of the internet as well mm. in a way right because a lot of these well all of these communities are online like you're saying there's a hashtag that um is that how you found like how did you find first of all the participants for your your study but also you know stumble upon this this movement and you know how yeah did it all just come from it gaining enough traction online that it then caught the attention of the researchers. Um, well,
2: we're, we're really lucky at the ACBRD to have um, collaborations with uh, Diabetes Australia. And especially mm-hmm. with a woman named um, Renza who runs a blog Diabetogenic mm-hmm. and she is a woman with type one diabetes who is looping. So she's um, using this technology and that's mm-hmm. how I became aware of it. So when I was working as a research assistant at the mm-hmm. ACBRD and I was, I met Renzo who's just like, Oh my, fabulous, mm-hmm. stylish, amazing woman. <laughs> loves coffee and red lipstick, and it's just Love like it. an amazing person around the office. Mm-hmm. And reading her blog and hearing about what Loop was doing for her and her life mm. was really impactful to me. When I was um, coming into this new research field, and I was learning so much about mm. how how hard it could be to be live with type one, and, mm-hmm. and all the thoughts and feelings that came with that. To see how how excited she was talking about her Loop mm. and all what was changing for her was huge to me. And then when we uh, – um, some of the supervisors and colleagues at my centre put together a, um, a proposal for this new PhD scholarship, mm-hmm. I went for this scholarship, mm-hmm. and that's how I ended up in this in this position. Yeah. But, yeah, they they did find – they were recruited mainly online. Yeah. And we were – there's lucky – in Australia we've got um, – uh, a group for people who were doing this on Facebook mm-hmm. and it's called Aussie, 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 loop, loop, loop. Oh, I love that. That's <laughs> such a <an laughs> Of course. And so I think we recruited most of our participants through there. Yeah. I was actually, um, uh, the interviews happened before I came on to the PhD. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't part of the recruitment process, but I do know that we recruited a lot of people from that Facebook group. Yeah. And like I said, in no, the power of the internet, people were saying that, so if you're doing this, it's, it's tricky for health professionals because I can't, endorse this because it's mm. not a regulated yeah. technology but health professionals still need to support any person with diabetes who's going for healthcare, and that can be a tricky yeah. thing for them to navigate um so one of the challenges people talked about in the interviews was that they felt that some not all but some health professionals didn't mm. really support what was going on or understand mm. what they were doing yeah but um people said they went onto these facebook groups or um uh gitter or get github for the coding stuff yeah. or twitter even but um a lot of these people were focused on a facebook group in australia mm-hmm. it was just amazing how quickly they were getting responses from other people about problems they were facing yeah wow and so you know interviews people are saying that when it came to things about um the artificial pancreas system mm-hmm. getting an answer from someone in the facebook group came within minutes and they yeah. felt that they trusted the information like the information they were getting from their from their peers was more valuable to them than the information they're getting from the health professionals in yeah. some instances, because their peers were so knowledgeable about the system. They'd, they'd, they'd because I had to build it be. Yeah, you mm. know,
1: to build it yourself, you have to understand inside and out Absolutely. what's going on.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah that's but such I,
1: a powerful thing to be able to also then just get answers that quickly.
2: Yeah, and that's quite different to I think one of the interviews people someone, someone was saying that. If they wanted to make an appointment with an endocrinologist who's a specialist around um, yeah. diabetes, sometimes they'd have to, you know, wait three weeks for an appointment. Mm. Um, but if they posted a question on Facebook, they get an que- answer yeah. back within minutes. And I think we've been seeing some really interesting things with COVID and the move towards telehealth that I think um, mm. could really work mm. here about, um, you know, being able to access answers or um, being able to call your doctor when you can't make it in or doing a Zoom call, things yeah. like that. I found a lot of people saying that's been really helpful for them to really accessible.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm actually, I think that's a good thing that has come out of COVID is it's it's forced us to make, I mean, healthcare, first of all, but kind of just all events more accessible. Like, mm. you know, mm. we, we allow an online option and... It's kind of frustrating because it shows that it's been possible all along and it took something like a global pandemic for quite
0: some time.
1: Yeah, to be like,
0: oh. Sometimes our hand needs to be forced by the circumstances around us for us to actually use the tools we have because so many people would just be kind of like, well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. We've done it this way for this long. Why would we (laughs) change unless something external comes along and changes Mm -hmm. it for us and like, oh, maybe we should do it differently? And then you do it differently and you're like, oh, hey, this is actually better
1: but you know huh. silver linings we'll take our covid silver linings where we can get them uh- <laughs> <laughs> definitely yes yeah,
2: so i think there's a lot of valuable things you can learn from um this movement not only about type 1 diabetes but also about being able to access healthcare when you need it and answers when mm. you need it too but um despite how like, incredible these communities were and how much people valued the peer support some some participants were still saying they would really like it if their health professional knew what was going on a bit more, if they yeah. understood what was happening, if they could be a bit more supportive. And I'd love, I think I'd love to see that too people mm. just generally being more understanding of this movement and how important it is to people and um, supporting it a bit more.
1: Yeah. Well, listeners, go check out the hashtag, mm-hmm. see what people are saying online, give people your support. If you know someone in your life with diabetes, maybe talk to them about this. I don't know what, um, is, is the number of, of people or the proportion I should say of people that are kind of engaging with this technology, you know, a, a large number or, or not really?
2: Not really. Uh, I think that's about 2,200 people worldwide using it, which is okay, quite small. Okay. Yeah. But if you think about, um, in terms of how many a lot of them are donating their information online at data online mm. that's also quite a powerful number in terms of a clinic, mm. like a clinical trial. but well yeah a, a it's a relatively well-powered
1: mm. movement
2: yeah. <laughs> we should say yeah. yeah so relatively small in terms of how many people with type 1 diabetes there mm-hmm. are but big in terms of impact i think
1: yeah which kind of just brings me back quickly to that other question that i asked earlier do you know like why this artificial pancreas system is designed around type 1 diabetes or in terms of you know your research anyway it was looking at more like people with type 1 diabetes as opposed to type 2 if um yeah is this something that's also a possibility for people with type 2 diabetes do you know
2: yes it is a possibility for people with type 2 diabetes who mm-hmm. are using insulin but i'm not seeing a lot of it and there's like mm-hmm. i guess a lot of reasons for that and one thing in Australia in particular is that a lot of people with type two diabetes don't have access to technology or don't Mm -hmm. yeah so the the insulin pumps and the CGMs and things Mm -hmm. I'm not exactly entirely sure
1: yeah no that's I mean it's it's a very new and small and growing area so it'll be really interesting to see where this goes in terms of as more commercial ones come on the scene, perhaps it, you know, it becomes approved, like therapeutically um, approved by the TGA, etc. cetera. You know, perhaps we see some of these things being subsidized. Perhaps we can see, I'm just imagining this, you know, utopian future yeah. where <laughs> anyone with <laughs> any type of diabetes can have a pancreas in their pocket um, <laughs> Maybe that's Pocket naive, pancreas. but this is what I'm picturing in this wonderful world <laughs> where all these...
0: I feel like it's inevitable. It's just waiting for, you know, the wheels to Matt, they're
2: not waiting. That's ...our systems the to catch up. Hashtag, they are not yeah. waiting. Um, yeah. People are talking about in terms of how the development of technology, you think about how rapidly technology is developed in mm. other areas like um, mobile mm. phones, things mm. like that. Um, they've changed a lot over the last few decades, but the diabetes technology hasn't... Change that rapidly, but I think we could mm. see that soon. But a lot of it's got to do with you have to be aware that the commercial companies have to meet really strict regulatory processes and making yeah. sure they're safe for everyone to use, which is really important.
1: Yeah, and I guess you know, with something like diabetes, where it, there's this variation between people, mm. right? It would I would Im- imagine that that would make it harder to get something approved to be you know safe for everyone yeah, when one it's not necessary yeah because yeah. it, it's not a one size fits all problem
2: no and i think that's some of the criticisms people have about the commercial mm. products that are available is that they're not customizable mm. so they have like preset targets that you can't change well,
0: that seems silly to me uh, yeah i was gonna say imagine, that seems like
2: a bit of an oversight but they need to do that to make sure people are safe
1: but yeah yeah, yeah. And I guess that's another advantage of learning the coding and learning, you know, how to do this yourself is that you can then know your exact needs and program them into the device.
2: Yeah. And having that um, personalized care or individualizing your own technology Mm. is really valuable to people. And I think um, healthcare generally is moving towards personalized care. Mm. No, which is,
1: I think, a very good thing. And somewhat kind of relates to our listener question as well, which I'm jumping ahead in my brain, Um, (laughs) but which, you know, though speaking of we do have a listener question that we do need to shuffle on to soon, but before we do, was there anything else that, you know, you kind of haven't had the chance to talk about yet to bring up that
2: you would like to or were hoping to? No, I think though we could spruik something that's coming up for both of us that's exciting for listeners. <laughs> face. Face,
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> i me
1: self-promotion couldn't possibly we we'll go on then
2: yeah so um kate and i are actually both competing in a science communication competition called main lab and we're both we made it to the semifinals which is very exciting yeah. hey
1: congrats uh, yeah yeah, it's cool. yeah and so, so both... you'll be
2: talking a bit about your phd research there
1: I'm actually talking about, yeah, it's, it's, it's the stuff I did for my master's, oh, cool.
2: um, that I'm talking
1: about because there's not enough substance yet.
2: To well, you've only just started PhD, PhD. to
1: uh, <laughs> fill three minutes of time. Um, no, that's not quite true, but yeah. Um, so yeah, I'll be talking about some of that. Yeah. The, the, it's, we get three minutes to talk about stuff. It's really, it's thrilling. It's like you're
0: quite... back at Rostrum speaking.
1: Oh no. <laughs> Don't say things like that. I remember that. <laughs> you won
0: that. You won that public speaking competition uh, uh, when you were in year four. Now's the now perfect I time have to bring have up.
1: Podcast. Look at that. It was year. It was grade six. Thank you very oh, much. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. And I made it all the way into the Australian Capital Territory's grand final, and then didn't win. It was very sad uh, <laughs> because that speaks to my attitude as a child. I was not happy enough to have made it to the final. How and I have grown.
2: It could be, it could be different.
1: <laughs> so, this time
2: could be different. This time could be
1: different. I could win. Or I could just <laughs> be grateful that I've made it this far. Which oh, I am, growth. And it's very fun. So, you know, yes, you'll be able to access uh, those Fame Lab talks, I'm pretty yeah, sure. there'll, there'll be there'll, recordings. There'll after. be recordings. And there's
2: a vote, an audience vote. So, audience vote. our listeners, our dear listeners. Vote for Jasmine. Could vote for, (laughs) I don't know if voting for both is a vote. Vote for Kate. Vote for Jasmine. Uh,
1: And that's how we do it here on this show. Are you allowed
2: to
0: cast more than one vote or do they have?
1: I'm not sure. Make an alias. No, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if that's allowed and also it's almost definitely not.
2: Uh, I just wanted to confirm that you're for voter fraud on Curious.
1: <laughs> I would just like to go on the record and say no. <laughs> I am not for voter fraud unless it's to vote for Jasmine to win Feynman. <laughs> and so with that, I'm going to shuffle us along to our listener question. Shuffle
0: us along um, very quickly away from that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't. I, mm, diversion? No. What? So we got a really cool listener question that I, I actually chose this listener question for this episode because i know jasmine will have some some cool thoughts on this one as well um so this is a question it's actually kind of two questions in one uh emailed in from dan and it's what is a phantom limb can the condition be treated or cured so matt have you heard of phantom limb
0: i have i have it's when my understanding if someone has lost a limb in one way mm-hmm. or another they can still sometimes get the sensation or feeling of like either pain or something else in the part they've lost so say you lost your arm you might get pain in your hand that isn't there mm. anymore
1: yeah um, spot on nailed it cool and so with that oh and <laughs> can it be treated or cured <laughs> um <laughs>
0: Uh, uh, no, <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know. I have no idea. Anything yeah. past that that's well.
1: Yeah. lucky, lucky. I read some papers in preparation for this, uh, question, <laughs> and I do in fact have the answer, but no, you're exactly right. That's, mm. that's what phantom limb is. And it, it can be sort of broken down into two things as painful sensations and non-painful sensations. And so, yeah, depending on the source uh it can occur anywhere between like some things i read said about 70% of amputees and some said as much as like 98% yeah. which i thought was wild and i'm not sure why there's such discrepancy in the reporting of it but yeah it it seems to be that definitely the majority of um people who have had a limb amputated and also side note not just limbs it's called phantom limb but there, I read some reports of, like, um, people after having a mastectomy, like, so mm. removal of breasts still felt like breast and, like, nipple ah. sensation or, like, if you had to have your penis cut off because you had <laughs> cancer or something. Um, people getting phantom erections. Oh. Real thing. Yeah. Um, so it's not necessarily just limbs, but, yeah, the, the condition we we generally refer to it as phantom limb because – the most cases you see are, are in people that have had. Um, I wonder
0: if um, people who have had appendectomies can still get symptoms of appendicitis.
1: Actually, yes. No, that was one of them. That's so cool. oh, That was wow, one of them. There was this one particular case study of someone who had had their appendix taken out and then still had that very distinctive, sharp, stabbing Appendicitis pain. Well, what's and the point
0: like, of taking it out? You didn't you're even still take gonna it get the pain.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. Um, which is I thought was really mm. crazy cool. But for the sake of the question, we will focus on limbs. I don't know how you would go mm. about treating a phantom appendix uh a but quick,
0: quick sidebar, really mm. quick, if it doesn't disrupt your 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 train of thought.
1: Bar the side away. Uh,
0: <laughs> would amputees be a a um a potentially not good word to describe someone who's had an amputation because yeah see it's this is a-
1: an interesting one because I was I actually I'll link it in the description I actually listened to a podcast in while I was in the lab today about phantom limb that was run by. They called themselves the Amputee Association. Just a note to say that I was actually incorrect here. It was not the Amputee Association, but in fact the Limbless Association. Uh, The podcast is called Amplify and I will link it down in the description below. Um, But yes, the Limbless Association, however, they did refer to both themselves and other people with amputations as amputees throughout the episode. So I was just taking my notes from that. But yes, language is always important to consider. Right. Mm. So, So it's obviously language that people within this community are using and referring to themselves as amputees and this may be an instance of kind of reclaiming that kind of language Mm. as an empowering sort of thing which you know some communities do that like Mm. I know in the case of autism there is some internal debate within the community as to whether it's more respectful to say person with autism, or there are some people with autism that quite like oh. referring to themselves as autistic because yeah. they find it empowering, empowering to say, right. no, I'm autistic and there is actually nothing wrong with that. Like mm. it's just who I am and how my brain works. Oh, my voice doesn't <laughs> weird how my brain works. But.
2: Yeah. And there's people in the, in the diabetes community who refer to themselves as diabetic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's up to the person about what labels they yeah. use for themselves. And yeah, um, for everyone else to use language that's the most respectful yeah so
1: that's
0: I a good suppose point so people, if we have any listeners who have had an amputation one way or another
2: mm. write us in
0: let us know tweet at us something like that I'm curious <laughs> I'm legitimately curious please tell yeah, us
1: yeah yeah around what language is appropriate for
0: because I think that would be the best person to probably answer that question right no. someone in the community yeah
1: exactly um I think you're definitely spot on there
0: Um, sorry it just came to my mind but continue no no no, no.
1: relevant to the discussion Mm. and relevant you know important things to talk about so we're here Mm. for it but yes phantom limb or phantom limb pain because you wouldn't necessarily need to cure it if it's not painful maybe you would the sort of things that you would feel if it's not pain say it's your hand some people report like feeling like they can still move it. So like if you were to shut your eyes, like as someone who has two hands, assuming all our listeners have two hands, which you may not, but Matt and Jasmine, uh, (laughs) if you shut your eyes and you move your hands, you're still very aware of like what that feels like. You've got that proprioception. You know you're wiggling your fingers. You know it's when it's your thumb or whatever. And so people who don't have that limb anymore can sometimes report still very clearly being able to visualize and feel like they're moving it. Mm. Um, and it's not necessarily painful. Um, Phantom itch is apparently – can you imagine having an itch on a limb that isn't there? That's
2: an itch you definitely cannot scratch. That is (laughs) – no, I know. Isn't that the – that is – That would drive you nuts.
1: I think that would be worse than pain but also not necessarily and I haven't experienced it so I don't want to necessarily say (laughs) that it is worse than pain because I – you know, this podcast that I was listening to, um, the woman described – uh she she didn't have a foot and she described it sometimes it felt like a metal like hot metal welding thing on the bottom of her foot oh. or or another one was like paper cuts between the toes oh. Oh, you know these sorts of feelings that's and very she was visceral. like i've never had a paper cut on my foot i don't know why my brain's imagining this or you know imagining quote unquote because that's that's the thing some people are like oh it's not real it's all in your head but everything's like, I mean, in your head that's what exactly is. <laughs> like pain of any kind like even if someone was paper cutting between your toes Ugh. if you didn't have a brain you still wouldn't feel that so um, why does
2: it happen why do phantom limb so yeah
1: That's the, that's the million dollar question, isn't it? Why Mm -hmm. does it happen? And there are a few kind of, it's one of these things that we're still, there's not a huge consensus reached because there's a lot of potentially different reasons and it could vary person to person. So it can be either like peripheral. So say you've you've lost your hand and you've still got like the stump of an arm Um, Mm. you can have things called neuromas which are it's just kind of like a growth of nerve tissue kind of build up at the site of amputation and it could be coming from that and then traveling up the rest of it all the way to your brain so because if you think about it right say once again you've got a hand and you get a paper cut Mm-hmm. How pain perception works is is you've got your nociceptors, which your pain receptors on your hand, they're going to sense that pain, but then it's got to travel all the way from the hand up to the brain for you to then like recognize it, right? So even if you don't have a hand, it could anywhere along that pathway from where the hand is no longer to the brain, something could be going wrong. So it could be a neuroma in the periphery, in the arm itself, or, or wherever, um, or it could be in the brain. So in your brain, you've got this part of your brain called your somatosensory cortex, which is essentially the part of your brain that maps sensation and like touch. And it's really cool because it's literally like a map you might've seen or heard of like the homunculus, which is like the guy with really big lips and big hands. And it's like a weird disproportionate Mm. person because the more sensitive the body part is, the more brain is allocated to it. So that's why it's got really big lips because our lips are really sensitive or our hands are really sensitive compared to like our torso for argument's sake. Right. And so in your brain, you've got this map. And so what happens if you think about it, if you've lost your hand, there's still a part of your brain that's allocated to that left hand. Mm -hmm. Right, there's still a chunk of cortex that's like this is the left hand. So it's it's like you've just cut the cord, you've cut the HDMI cord to the TV, and the TV's Mm. gone static because it's still trying to get an input. The TV's still Mm. on, you know, the this part of the brain is still like, hey, we're the right hand, but there's nothing coming in from that hand. And so you can kind of have this reorganization of the brain where the neighboring parts will take over. So for the example of hand. The, the part of the hand map in the brain is really close to the face. Yes. So sometimes people report, you know, if they've lost a hand, they'll report phantom limb like hand thing when people like touch their face. Oh, okay. Um, or right. with the foot is close to the groin region. So if they're apparently ampu- people who have had their foot amputated say they're like, Going to the bathroom, like you know, doing a wee or whatever. Like I've also heard that but- as a
0: uh, theory for why a lot of people have foot fetishes.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Of <laughs> no, how close legitimately the feet stuff though, stuff is tied to the genital stuff in yeah, the brain because they're
2: so. right next to each other on yeah. the yeah, yeah, somatosensory cortex. Yeah, when I was reading about um, you talking about that person who had an itch they couldn't scratch in mm. their hand because it remaps to his face, so are able to finally scratched the unscratchable itch that plagued him for so, so long by scratching his cheek oh, because i remapped. Yeah, yeah, that's really
1: cool. So, as, like, as well as just kind of generating that sensation, it can actually help, hmm. you know, treat, quote-unquote, treat things like mm. the itch and whatever, which is, yeah, really interesting. And what what I thought was, like, particularly interesting is that, like, because for a long time they thought it was just a peripheral thing, like it was things like the neuroma, the buildup of the the nerves. But then there, there were reports of like persisting pain. So they anaesthetised the neuromas. They were like, okay, so you've got nerve tissue building up because of this amputation. We know that's a thing. Um, so they chucked a whole bunch of anaesthetic on there and people still got the phantom limb pain. So that suggests that it's something in the brain or something right. in the cortex yeah. and to do with this remapping. And also, also you get congenital cases of phantom limb and so what i mean by that is babies that are born missing a limb for whatever reason right so they never had that input they definitely don't have neuromas built up from the process of amputation because there was no there was no injury there was no amputation they can still get phantom limb not as frequently as people who have had amputations but Mm. there are reports of it which those cases they would definitely suggest that you know your brain is born with this like spot for the hand even mm. if your body's not born with a hand your, your brain missed the memo in development and so that's where you get that you know reorganization where your brain is thinking that it's hand stimulation or hand pain or whatever but it's actually potentially something from a neighboring area that's kind of taken it over but the signals are getting a bit you know mixed and I so
0: how often the reverse of that happens someone born with a hand, but not with the spot in the brain for that hand. Mm, and I wonder what that would that manifest happens as. Too.
2: That happens too. Yeah. And it's a condition where people can really strongly feel like part of their body isn't their own. Oh, oh my goodness. So it's um something called body integrity identity disorder. And some people feel like from childhood onward that one of their limbs or maybe another part of their body isn't theirs but like alien to them
1: Mm. and this
2: feeling may be so powerful they actually have like a passionate desire to have it removed so people might yeah get a fully functioning limb amputated because they feel like it's not theirs
0: the fact that it is even a thing is that's a Mm.
2: bit
0: fucking wild i wasn't expecting that to actually
1: i mean it makes it 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 does it It makes sense. sense yeah that um you know things can go wrong in different directions mm. you know when you're born um can you so second <laughs> part yes. of the question, can you, of the question. can you remap the brain can you yes and no so yes but there there is limited first of all it's really hard to research how successful certain treatments are. So first of all, you've got your kind of pharmacological treatments, which is where you give people medications to try, you know, this is this is sort of focusing on the pain side of it, right, um, where people are like, oh, it's a kind of nerve pain, so we're going to give you a medication that's used to treat nerve pain. And that's kind of the first line of treatment for this sort of thing, um, and it, it has limited success. Some people report um, – you know, success from that, a lot of people report that that does absolutely nothing, and then there are a whole lot of, you know, additional risks that come with going on medications that have side effects, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there was this one particular study that I read. It came out this year, 2021, um, where to get around the problem of, like, the fact that you, you can't do, like, a placebo-controlled trial of a non-pharmacological treatment because you can't placebo something. So for example, one of the things that this particular study brought up and that has been quite successful is something called mirror therapy. And it's where you get a mirror. And so once again, let's use the hand example, right?
2: Yeah, I read about this. The, yeah. the research of Ramachandran in the yeah, nineties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interestingly, when I was reading for of this book today, they described him as the Sherlock Holmes of <laughs> <laughs> neuroscience. Yeah, so oh. tie back to the beginning of the episode. Oh, perfect. I love when things come. <laughs> but from, yeah, sorry. so it's like a smoke, 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 and mirror illusion yeah. to curing the phantom limb. Literally, because you get a
1: mirror and you set it up so that you can see. Your your limb that's still... So this this obviously only works if you've had unilateral amputation. If you've lost both your hands, for example, this isn't going to work. You need mm. one of them to still exist right. so that you can put a mirror up. And then obviously when you see the mirror image of your right hand, it's going to look like your left hand. Mm. And so then what people do is if their hand, if they're... Their I'm going to say, quote unquote, imagining or like mm. perceiving, I should say, their phantom hand contorted mm. in some really painful position or some mm. people report like mm. having their fingernails dug in or something like that, yeah. but they can't
2: un- undo that. Some people report feeling the pain that happened from the amputation. So like if they were mm. holding grenade for people in the war or people who involved in a car accident, mm. they're still reliving that pain, painful experience. Uh. Yeah, one of the guys, Matt. I've got to tell you, one of the guys on the
1: podcast uh, mm. had lost a leg from a horrific motorcycle accident, where his leg got ripped off.
0: Yeah, that'll happen.
1: I had to share that with you because I've been reliving that in my brain. Uh, I, just, <laughs> I went for a,
0: I went for a ride today for the first time in a while,
1: and you've <laughs> and it was fun. I still have so both of good. my
0: legs, so we're we're all right. We're
1: one um, for one. But yeah, so the the point of this mirror therapy is that you can then use the mirror image of your remaining hand to mm. uncontort it from that position or to you know if, it, if it's contorted in a painful position or even just to sort of move it and feel like you've got that control can sometimes they're not really sure why or how exactly but it can help bring relief and so it's the sort of thing that you do for like 15 minutes a day every day. And it takes several weeks to months to start bringing relief, Mm. but it can start to alleviate some of that pain because essentially, you know, what, what, what's happening is you've confused, uh, you've confused, you know, the, the, the brain because it's, there's still an area that's meant to be receiving input, but it's not receiving that input. So if you're kind of filling in that missing puzzle piece, you're you're plugging that wire back in. So you're not getting static on the TV anymore. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense.
2: Well, so someone we was saying that he was doing it for ten minutes a day, and at first he was only feeling relief when he was actually watching the mirror hand. Mm. But then after time, slowly after time, doing it each day, practicing it, called up Ramachandran, and he mm. was like, it, "It works. Like I'm not experiencing mm. the panda pain anymore." So one of those things like daily practice and remapping mm. that brain, the brain yeah. to yeah. Parts. So the books I was reading about this in were um, The Brain That Changes Itself by Norman Deutsch Yeah. I mean, and um, Hallucinations by Oliver Sacks. And if people wanted to read a little bit more about um, Phantom Pain and Phantom mm. Limbs are both good books to have a look I'll at. I'll
1: write those down in the description as well in the sources if you guys want to have a look. But another really cool thing that this 2021 study um, highlighted so I, sh- I should mention the way that they came up with this sort of list of of treatments is that because, you know, with the, for example, I was saying you can't, you can't do like a placebo control study of of mirror therapy. Like how do you placebo a mirror? Like you, (laughs) you kind of, you kind of can't, right? Yeah. Um, So the way this particular study is they, they surveyed a bunch of clinicians and researchers and brought out all the different potential treatments that were essentially endorsed by Uh, more than half of them. So Mm. when they reached a consensus of like clinicians and researchers going, hey, this is a therapy that works based on both the scientific evidence that's available for it and also reported efficacy in like clinical practice. So like doctors that have seen this work and researchers that have found this work, Mm. um, they've kind of given a consensus and they've like endorsed certain treatments. So like mirror therapy was one of them, but then kind of, Going a bit futuristic on like okay, so mirror therapy was first come up with back in the what did you I say? I think it was nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, 90s? yeah. Um, so let me raise you VR therapy, oh. virtual reality oh. training, which is kind of the same thing.
0: But the next but, step using but technology. using VR goggles High-tech to mirrors.
1: perceive limbs that aren't there anymore, and and it's that same sort of thing where. You know, by filling in that missing puzzle piece of like the thing that you you your brain was still expecting to get some sort of like feedback from, but but isn't, and it's that's what's causing this pain. You you can give people their limbs back virtually, and you can do this sort of training. And so this is this is still very early on in its development, and there wasn't mm. a whole lot of like actual research out there in terms of you know how best to go about this, and you know. It, Once again, it's it's, it's similar to the problem people with diabetes are having is that there's just not enough funding and research Mm. and whatever, like all these things are, are well behind where they should be. Like VR technology has been around for ages and we could be
2: using it for such good but instead we're using it for video instead games so <laughs> we're using it for video games <laughs> this and is really cool though they learn about like the ways mm. in which technology and health can combine yeah. and create better outcomes for people mm. so we can have um virtual limbs to help with phantom limb and exactly. we can have an artificial pancreas system to help people with type 1 diabetes who pancreas isn't working yeah. properly yeah
1: and i think a lot of that comes down to the you know the way we talk about these things because i know for, with phantom limb for example like we were saying we we learned this in undergrad but yeah. i i remember when i was learning about phantom limb in undergrad it was like kind of painted it's this like isn't this quirky isn't this cool like people can still feel their limb when
2: it's not there but like actually imagine living with this condition yeah. i was really glad to hear like, that you listened to podcasts by people who had an amputations yeah. and yeah. listening to experiences because it's so powerful to it hear. truly
1: shook me you know taking it from this kind of quirky neuroscience phenomenon where people can feel invisible ghostly mm. limbs to this like hang on no these people are living with like pain every day that isn't, we don't really have a very good treatment for yet. Mm. And, you know, itches that they can't scratch. And, you know, mm. we're so far behind where we should be, well, should be, but, you know, where we yeah. could be if all our resources were poured into this yeah. sort of.
0: That's a good way to like rehumanize the people with these mm. issues because I think a yeah. lot of doctors and scientists might have a habit of t- taking a step back, not necessarily out of their humanity, but looking at Mm. all of these issues simply from a very clinical or academic point of view as a Mm. you know just kind of a very objective scientific basis and not from the idea of this is a person who Mm. is suffering and we need to try and alleviate that as best we can rather Mm. than being like ah, that's a thing you're experiencing anyway i'm gonna do this other thing
1: And I mean, that's where, you know, your whole field of research is so important. This whole concept of health psychology and like, how is it actually affecting the people living with these conditions? Because I can can totally relate to getting desensitized and stepping back and looking at something from a clinical, like, I I feel like I get that way with addiction and with the stuff that I do, because I kind of have to, because if I'm too entrenched in it day to day, it just, it would be too much. Um, But then I start to, I start to lose sight of the fact that what I'm actually researching is a very debilitating condition that, you know, this research is important and this is yeah like you're saying yeah, this the is lived, lived experiences the lived
2: experiences are so important and that's really mm. cool as a qualitative researcher so the mm. study that we're talking about and we'll we'll put a link to that in yeah the, in the is a interview study where we interview 23 australians about their experiences mm. and what we can learn from those insights mm. and it's also important yeah to be involving um people with the conditions that you're researching with in every step of the way of every yeah. research there's another hashtag because i love i love my hashtags and it's nothing about us without us and it's not just in diabetes but in multiple uh, conditions I that, like that that they should be involved in the studies yeah. they should be helping design them they should be at the conferences yeah yeah it's Completely. really important to really consider your population every step of the way yeah
1: otherwise you know what like what's the point like what what are we doing it for if yeah. not
2: f- to help these people um exactly and they know what they want they they Mm. They are the ones who are experiencing and they're the ones who can advocate for themselves. Exactly, Mm -hmm. yeah. So
1: I think that's... Hopefully answers your listener question, Dan, and also ties everything in a nice little, neat little bow at the end, Mm. which like never happens. We're far too chaotic for that. So I feel very satisfied with this episode. A real
0: nice uh, closed loop of an episode, if you
1: will. Oh, you've done it! You've done it! I had to. to. Well done, thank you. Well done. The whole episode has been building to that. (laughs) Uh, Jasmine, thank you so much for joining us today and and talking about all of this stuff uh thank you for i really me. enjoyed this it's um, been a great joy to be here and i'm sure our listeners have all thoroughly enjoyed it as well which if they have which they have because of course they have and they want to find <laughs> more of you yeah where can they do that how can they do that
2: yeah i'm on twitter um, my handle is at JasmineShip. Mm-hmm. i'm on linkedin ResearchGate, id all the researchy places but I'm, I'm mainly pretty active on twitter
1: yeah well we will make sure that the twitter handle is down there in the description so that you can find it, and also vote for Jasmine in FameLab. <laughs> <laughs> As always, you can find us, follow us on social media at Curiosity Rat on Twitter and Insta, um, or Curiosity Killed the Rat. We've got a Facebook page. Uh, if you have a listener question for us, like Dan did. And you want to email us curiosityrat at gmail.com is our email address. I do love getting emails and love getting questions. So please keep shooting them through. We've got a few good ones sitting in the inbox, but do keep coming. Do keep them coming.
0: (laughs) I mean, you know, (laughs) I mean,
1: live your best life. Keep coming.
0: We're, very also, se- we're sex positive here on Curiosity Killed the we Rat. We are sex so. positive
1: here on Curiosity Killed the Rat. <laughs> Orgasms are a good thing. And speaking of, we have a Patreon. <laughs> don't know why that's speaking of. It's a great segue. I'm not good at my job. But we do, in fact, have a Patreon. Um, so if you enjoy our sex jokes and also our very serious, important talks about health conditions or quirky science or all the, all the cool stuff we get up to on this podcast and you appreciate the hard work that Matt and I put in, to keep bringing you these episodes you can now completely optionally financially support us if you are in a position to do so um find us yeah patreon.com curiosityrat curiosity rat is where you will find that and with that i think i've plugged all the pluggables I have i plugged all, all the pluggables the
0: that can be plugged
1: the plugs all the holes have been to plugged all the
0: show Blog. fantastic Holes well thank filled. you dear
1: cool. listeners and thank you again jasmine i've had a blast um Me too catch you
0: later
2: later skaters